Uh, always, we have a lot to pray for on our prayer list. We're going to pray for our state, local, and national leaders. We're going to pray for our church and our church family. Pray for the other churches in Guyman as they try to navigate what we need to do. Pray for Nancy Schmidt, the CEO of the Texas County Memorial Hospital, the staff, and all of our health care workers. Pray for Dan Stiles, the board, the staff, and the residents of Dunaway Manor. Pray for the teachers, students, and local school boards and administrators as they try to decide what to do as they move forward with the next school year. Pray for those in our community who are classified as the most vulnerable. Pray in this time of uncertainty people would turn to Jesus. That is certainly a a desperate need in this time. Pray peace would reign because we know the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Pray Christians would avoid negativity and fault-finding and contentiousness, but instead would would just stand out as God's children, right? I mean, in a world of anger and gripiness, someone who's not angry and not gripy stands out, and we want to be those people, as Philippians 2 says we're supposed to be. Pray Americans will awake to their spiritual poverty and their desperate need for God. Uh, Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the American church that would launch them into their communities to witness for Christ. Pray God would turn people's hearts toward Himself Pray people would seek truth. Pray error would be exposed. Pray people with wicked agendas would be made weak. I do want to have a, before this all started, we also, besides our regular list like that, we had a a focus. So I want to get back to kind of doing that. And our prayer focus for this week, it comes from Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And and here's what God says. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. And so I think what part of what we need to pray for our focus, for our ourselves, our church, our community, and our country, is for attitudes of humility and attitudes of contrition. And I was thinking about that this week. This is part of my daily Bible reading. If you think about it, as Americans overall, we're not really good at either one of those. Right? As Americans, we're not good at humility. In America, pride is a virtue rather than a vice. In fact, a few years ago, I read an article explaining how narcissism was actually a a positive trait in people. When when narcissism is actually a mental disorder, right? So we, as, as Americans, we like ourselves. We are proud. We and I think we see it in a lot of ways. Right? When all of this happened. This began to happen with the COVID and all of that. What did we do? Did we draw immediately on our knees and cry out to God to spare us, to help us? Or did we look to our preferred political party to have the right answer and to do the right thing? And in the end, what we were doing by not crying out to God was saying, we've got this. My my team can handle what's going on. And it's the same in all of the the riots and all of the upheaval we see in society right now. Have we, in all of this, have we cried out to God to be merciful to our nation, to to show mercy, mercy in the midst of what appears to be wrath? Or did we look to God and say, my team will handle this. My team knows what needs to be done. And in doing so, what we're doing is we're telling God, we've got it. We're proud and we need to be humble. And contrition is basically sorrow for sins. 
And again, that's not something we're especially good at. And we only need to look at our culture to see that. But you look at, at the culture, and if you point out any sort of cultural sins, any sort of sins about a political party or a political leader, what is the answer? Is the response, you're right, that's terrible. My gosh, let's pray and lament. Or is the answer, well, what about the other guy? Well, what about the other team? Or if we point out sins of America in our past, is the answer, yes, those are terrible. We should lament and we should repent. Or is the answer, but what about Germany? What about those other countries? Even in ourselves. If someone points out sin in us, is our response to lament and repent? Or is our response to say, well, what about them? We are not good at being contrite. And we must be. Because look at what happens. God inhabits. He's with those who have a contrite and a humble spirit. So do we want God to dwell in us, in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our country? Then guess what we must have? A humble spirit and a contrite spirit. God also revives the spirit of the humble. It revives the heart of the contrite. Do we want revival in our hearts? Do we want revival in our church, in our community, and in our country? Then we must be humble and we must be contrite. For without this, we will dwell without God in our midst. Without this, we will dwell without revival in our lives. So as we come today, we pray for all of these and whatever else is on our hearts. Let's also pray for a spirit of, of humility and a spirit of contrition that one starts with us. But if we come forward and we begin to pray for the other guys to be humble and contrite, but don't pray for ourselves and our team, we have missed the whole point of what we're trying to do. It's all of us. And it starts on an individual level with me and with you. And then it has to spread out from there to rise up to the rest. So let's pray we as individuals would be humble and contrite. Pray we as a church would be humble and contrite. And pray God would work in our nation to bring humility and contrition amongst the people and the churches. So that he would dwell with us and revival would break out in our midst. I ask all that would to come to the altars to pray or pray where you are. We just want you to pray. Uh, when we're through praying, we'll move on.
Well, we missed a lot of things during the shutdown and the, all that was going on. And so we've had sort of graduations that have taken place. And ask, I guess Sarah is the only one of our graduates that's here today, so come on up here. Sarah asked me especially to let y'all all ask her questions and talk to her. <laughs> so Sarah graduated from Goodwell. Um, what are your future plans? To go to OPSU and major in political science. OPSU and major in political science. That's good. Uh, we have two other graduates that are part of our church. Um, Chris, no, Matt Mijares and Jaron Osborne also graduated this year. So remember them and your prayers. They plan to move forward what they need to do. Um, we normally have a gift that we give, but it did not make it in time this year. It is in route, but we will, I think I can find Sarah in order to give it to her when it get when it arrives. Uh, but be praying for them. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for all you've given and done. Bless our graduates this year. Guide them and give them wisdom. Lord, this year was not what they anticipated when they started their senior year. It was not in the way they figured it would. But Lord, your hand is here and upon them and upon all that's gone on. So bless them and guide them. Make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. Give them wisdom about making decisions. Give them strength and courage to do what you want done. Have your way in their lives. Bless them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Now one of the most basic missions an infantry soldier takes it is just to walk. Seriously, as an infantry soldier, you do a ridiculous amount of walking. Now, the walking has a purpose. You're either patrolling an area looking for bad guys to engage, or you're scouting an area looking for bad guys to report on, or you're moving to a target where you're going to attack the bad guys. But as you, you're always moving, you're always moving forward. Uh, and as you move forward in your mission, you have to watch out for obstacles in your path. Right, because you don't necessarily take the road and the easy path. You go through the woods and over the hills in order to get to where you need to go. So there are loads of obstacles that can kind of get in your way and hinder your forward momentum. There can be rivers which must be crossed. There can be roads which must be crossed. Buildings, but you've got to decide whether you're going to clear to go around it. Villages, open areas, trenches, and, and so many more. But you get the idea. And when you come to an obstacle, a decision must be made. Do we cross the obstacle? Do we go around the obstacle? Or do we go back the way we came because of the obstacle? The decision you make at this point is a critical one. A wrong decision can cause the mission to fail or even cost soldiers their lives. As you can guess, the decision about what to do about obstacles you didn't foresee is not one that's taken upon lightly. But a decision must be made. Right? Indecision can be just as deadly as the wrong decision. You sit too long at a road to try to decide whether or not to cross it, bad guys are going to come along, see you, and engage you. Right? So you must make a decision. And it's like that in our lives. As we seek to move forward in our relationship with Jesus, we're going to reach crucial places where decisions must be made. And these decisions will have impacts upon the rest of our lives. And we come to a place where there will be an obstacle and we have to decide how we're going to cross it or if we're going to cross it. And while there are many obstacles we'll face in our lives, there are two certainties about obstacles. First, there will be obstacles. The very idea of moving forward in anything 
particularly in our service and our devotion to Jesus, it makes way for there to be obstacles in our path. Right? I mean, you just think about it. We're trying to follow Jesus and we're trying to move forward with Him. Well, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they do not want that to happen. So they will throw obstacles in our path. Just the very nature of saying, I'm going with Jesus. It guarantees obstacles will be thrown in the path we try to take. Second truth is obstacles must be crossed if we're going to move forward. Now this is important as we understand. Uh, It's important to understand as we look for ways to try to deal with the obstacle. Because when we come to an obstacle, a lot of times what we'll try to do is we'll try to go around it. If we're moving here... And the quickest quickest way is just to climb over and go. What we're going to want to say sometimes is, that will be difficult. What will people say if I climb the pews? What will people say if they see me begin to do that? So I'm going to walk around the obstacle. And walking around the obstacle, it gives us the appearance of continuing to move forward. It makes us feel as though we're still making forward progress, but we're not. Lateral movement is not forward movement. It's just movement. And so we have to be careful not to confuse, I'm still moving, therefore I'm going forward. No, you're not. There is an obstacle and you've got to deal with it. You've got to decide what needs to be done about this obstacle in this moment for your life so you can move forward and following Jesus. And this is for all of us. The obstacles will vary. But make no mistake, the obstacles will be there. So what do we do? How do we... How do we... Navigate the obstacles so we can move forward following Jesus. We'll open your Bible to Joshua chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand. You find that to honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the whole chapter and we'll look at it. And Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way in which you should go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify or consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake to the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the word of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and all those ites. And behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you to the Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass 
As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall pass, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord, and as they bear the ark were come into Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of the harvest, that the water which came down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed right over against Jericho. And the priest that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord God stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. The title of the message this morning is Moving Forward Despite Obstacles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we need you today. God, we need you to work in our hearts in such a desperate way. Father, pride is without doubt a part of the human condition. We struggle with that. We wrestle with not being proud. And yet, Lord, at the same time, we cry out wanting you to dwell with us. We cry out seeking revival in our lives. And so we must humble ourselves and God help us with that. Help us to take to word the hearts of Scripture that said, God, resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Lord, we, we wrestle with contrition. There is within us a justifier of sin. One who would tell us our sin is not as bad as another. One who would tell us the world is different today so our sin really isn't sin any longer. And yet once again, we want you to dwell with us and we want to be revived in our lives and our hearts. So make us to mourn our sin. Make us humble and contrite people who bow before you knowing we we really deserve nothing from you. We have done nothing to merit the least of your favor. Make us humble to cry out for the mercy we don't deserve instead of trying to cry out for all the things we think we do deserve. And as we humble ourselves, we are contrite over our sins. Dwell with us and make it aware you're with us. Revive our hearts, stir us afresh to live for you and to do your will. Fathers, we seek to move forward in our, in our lives, with our family, with our church. There will be obstacles we face, issues we have to deal with. And in that time, God, we need to know what to do. We'll be tempted to quit and just stand still. We'll be tempted to try to go around it and not deal with the obstacle. We may even be tempted to just go back the way we came. It's just too much. But Lord, as we see in this passage, that's not your will. You are the God who's greater than the obstacles we face. You're the God who parts the Red Sea and parts the Jordan River, conquers any obstacles and does anything that He wants to do. Let us believe that. Let us live as though that were true. When we come to an obstacle, let us decide how's best to cross it. Cry out to You. Do those things that will be pleasing in your sight. Fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. 
Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way. All of our hearts. Draw us close. Draw us forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. They were moving forward as God had said. Forward was the promised land. And all that stood between them and walking in the promised land was an obstacle. Jordan River. And God brought them to the Jordan River not just at any time, but at a massive time. At a time of the harvest where the Jordan overflows its banks. Crossing the Jordan was difficult at the best of times. Um, but during the time of the harvest when it overflowed its banks, it was very difficult. One of my commentators said that at normal time, the bank to bank at the Jordan River is about 100 feet. Um, but he said during the harvest time when it overflowed, it was about a mile to mile, about a mile from bank to bank. So there would seem no natural way to cross the river. It kind of a, a natural barrier to protect the people that were in the land from opposing or from invading enemies. How would they cross this mighty obstacle? What would they do? They sit down and cry. They give up. They go back to Egypt. Or would they look to God and see what God could do? They knew God had done miracles in the past. They knew God had promised to carry them into the promised land and give them victory over His enemies. And so, they looked to God. And as they begin to look to God, God gives a promise that He is indeed going to carry them over this obstacle. He is going to make the waters part as it did at the Red Sea. Now, if you're familiar with the story and what we've just read, you saw that the the priests had to actually kind of get in the water before the obstacle, before the river would part. Now, we'll talk about this more in the service, but I want you to notice what God said. This is, in a lot of ways, this is sort of basic training for everything they're going to have to do once they go across. They're going to have to trust God. God said, pick up the ark and let the people that carry the ark walk into the water and then I'll do something. They had to trust that God would do what He had said He would do. Then they had to obey. Right? Everything that happens in verses 14 through 17, the waters parting and standing up in a heap and there being dry ground for them to go forward, it is completely conditioned or conditional upon them trusting and obeying. It has to be both. They have to trust God enough to get in the water and they have to obey God and actually get in the water. Right? In order to cross the obstacle and move forward, they must trust and obey. So the key truth I want us to understand is trust and obey. There's no other way to move forward despite obstacles but to trust and obey. And in this passage we see three ways we have to trust and obey if we want to move forward following Jesus despite any obstacles we find in our way. Number one, submit to the leading of God. Now the people know they have to cross over the Jordan to get into the promised land. But they weren't just going to run out and take it and run out and do it. God had a particular way He wanted it done. Right? We see in verse 3 that they were to wait until they saw the Ark of the Covenant move. Now the Ark represented the very presence of God with the nation of Israel. So they were not to move until they saw the ark move. And so what essentially what Joshua is saying to them in verse 3 is, don't you move 
until God moves. Right? Until God begins to cross the river, until God begins to lead and take the, take the lead to move us forward, do not do anything. Submit in this moment to the leadership of God. Now there are two sides to submitting to the leading of God. First is wait on God's timing. Wait on God's timing. Right? There's a lot of waiting going on in chapter 3. Right? They get to the edge of the Jordan and they camp out for three days with little or no instruction about what's coming forward. They're, they're waiting on God. When they finally get instructions, these instructions are to wait a little bit more. Wait until you see God begin to move. Well, when is God going to begin to move? We don't know. But wait until you do. Watch the ark. Look to God. Don't take a step until God does. No matter how eager they were to move forward, no matter how eager they were to get into the promised land, they had to wait upon the Lord. I'm convinced many of our plans fail because we refuse to wait upon God's timing. We get anxious. We get in a hurry. We're excited. We want to move. And so we rush and we jump and we go. And this is always, always a failure on our part. We don't have time this morning, but Bible is filled with examples of people who rushed, did not wait upon the Lord, and the terrible negative consequences it brought into their lives. For some examples, study Abraham and Hagar. They rushed, and it brought problems. Look at Saul. Making the sacrifice before going to fight the Philistines. He's supposed to wait on Samuel. But he rushes. He goes ahead. And he loses the kingdom. Every time those who are supposed to be following God rush forward ahead of God, it is always a mistake. It is always a failure on our part. This is why the Bible repeatedly tells us to wait upon the Lord. One passage in particular. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, nor is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall fail and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lots of passages talk about waiting upon the Lord. This is the one that I think is most critical for us as we talk about moving forward. Because this one not only says wait upon the Lord, but why we wait upon the Lord. Because those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When we've come to the place... We're moving forward and there's an obstacle in the way. We wait upon the Lord because we need His strength to overcome it. We need His strength to navigate it. If we could do it in our own strength, it wouldn't be an obstacle. It would be an inconvenience. And so as we come to the place where there are obstacles, we can't. I mean, that, that's the whole point. God allowed. Why did God bring them to the edge of the Jordan 
when it was at harvest season and it was a mile from end to end. He could have brought them there just a few months earlier. And it would have been easy. A hundred feet is difficult, but an army that size can do it. But what can an army that size not do? They can't navigate a river that's a mile wide. Why did God take them there at that time? So the obstacle would be bigger than them. So they would have to say, we can't. We can't cross this river. We can't make it part. We can't build a bridge big enough to go from this side to that side. Oh God, give us the strength. Oh God, lead us across. When we're following God, we're going to come to obstacles. And they will be bigger than us. They will be beyond our capabilities. So, And God is doing this intentionally. So that as we look at that obstacle, we will say, I can't on my own. I need God. And I will wait upon Him. And I will wait on His timing. And I will wait on His strength. He will renew my strength. I will mount up as wings as eagles. I will run and not be weary. I'll walk and not think. I'll navigate and conquer the obstacle that God has placed in front of me. To submit to God and His leading is to wait on His timing. But at the same time, not only is it waiting on His timing, it is moving when God moves. They were told to keep about a half mile in verse 4 between them and and the ark. Two reasons. One, it emphasized the sacredness of the ark. Remember, the ark represented the very presence of God. And while the, the presence of God was meant to be among His people, that was a part of what God wanted, was to dwell among them. His presence was not to be taken lightly. His presence was holy. He was awesome. He was great. They couldn't just walk up there and pat the ark. Hey, buddy, how you doing? No, no, no. This is the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. You give some space between you and the all-holy God. But it wasn't just because God is holy and they must reverence and give it that space, but also so they could see where they were going. They could watch it. They could see God in that instance. They could follow Him and move when He moved, go where He went. Everything about this was new to them. They had never crossed over this river before. Everything on the other side of that was brand new. Now think about how important this is though. All of their lives, the only thing they had ever dreamed of was crossing the Jordan and living in the promised land. All of their parents' lives, the only thing they had ever dreamed of was crossing the Jordan River and entering in the promised land. In fact, Everybody they had ever known, generations and generations before them, they had lived and died hoping for one thing, to cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. Now here they are. They're about to go. But everything on that side is very different. Everything is going to change once they cross the river. They don't know where to go. I mean, how? What? where do you start your battles at? How do you push forward? What? What? What God had told them what the boundaries were, but, I mean, what are the odds they knew that the city on the other side, what its name was? They had to follow God because God knew what awaited them. God knew where they were going. God knew everything. Everything about what they were doing was new to them, but it wasn't new to God. 
God knew the way. God knew the timing. God knew everything about what needed to be done. And so when God said, let's go, what they needed to do was get up and let's go. So while we certainly must wait on God's timing, when God says, get up and let's go, we must get up and let's go. Not moving when God moves is just as much a failure as moving when God says not to move. Again, we, we know this just from this story. Why are this generation of people taking the promised land instead of their parents? It was their parents that came out of Egypt. Why were their parents not the ones conquering? Because God said go, and they said, whoa, 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 hold on, let's wait a minute here, God. And they missed everything. They failed. And they missed everything. So when God says, go, we go. Right? And God, make no mistake, God is leading us forward. And throughout this series, I'm going to say this over and over and over again. God is leading us forward as individuals. God is leading us forward as families. God is leading us forward as a church. God never leads us to stay here and do what we've always done and never move, never shift, never change. The very nature of following Jesus is movement, forward, transition, and change in our life. Right now, at this moment, God is calling every one of us forward in one way or another. He is calling every family in this church forward in one way or another. He is calling our church forward in one way or another. And when we say yes... There will be an obstacle. And in that moment, we have to wait until God says to go. But when God says go, we have to go. Because He is the only one who knows how to navigate the obstacles that are before us. He is the only one who knows how to get us from where we are to where we need to be. It has always been God's way to lead His people forward. But when, when the Israel, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, what did they find? A pillar of fire that led them by night and a pillar of cloud that led them by day. How did that cloud lead them? Does anybody remember what it said? It said that when the, when the cloud would rest, they would stop. And they stayed there until the cloud rose again. Was it a day? Was it two days? Was it four? Didn't matter. When God stopped... They stopped. And when the cloud rose to move, they got up and they moved. When Jesus called His twelve disciples, what did He say? Follow Me. And throughout their life, what did they do? They walked when Jesus walked. They stopped when Jesus stopped. They went the direction Jesus took them. And they did what He told them to do. It was always, follow Me. Okay, we're going to stay here. Now I'm going to sit down on a mountain and I'm going to teach you some things. Well, time to get up and go move again. Now we're going to be here. Now we're going to go there. Now we're going to stop for a couple of days. They stopped when Jesus stopped. They moved when Jesus moved because He knew the way. He knew how to get them from where they were to where they needed to be. Jesus said that we were His sheep. And what distinguished us as His sheep? We could hear His voice and we would follow Him. How do sheep follow their shepherd? They move when the shepherd moves. He moves and they move. He stops and they stop. The sheep don't set the path. The shepherd does. 
The shepherd's the one that knows how to get through the dark valleys up to the mountaintops where the clear water and the green grass is. The sheep follow the shepherd. When he says stop, they stop. When he says go, they go. And we're sheep. When Jesus says stop, we stop. When Jesus says go, we go. Both of these are acts of submission on our part. It is submitting our will to God's will. It is saying since God knows best, since God's way is best, I will do what God wants done. Now, I think one of the most important aspects of submission is to remember it's not really submission until we don't want to do it. It would be wonderful to say that we would always want to go when God wants us to go. We would always want to stay when God wants us to stay. But human nature seems to ensure that is not the way that the world works. And just the nature of God ensures that that's not going to be the way. God, God wants us to submit to Him as God. And so there are going to be times when everything within us says, Go! Charge! Take the hill! Run! Move! And God's going to say, Hold! Wait! Be still. In that moment we have a choice to make. Will we submit to the leading of the Lord and hold and wait and be still? Or will we run ahead and fail and blow it all up? And then there are going to be times where God is saying, Go! Charge! Take the hill! And we're going to say, Oh! Whoa! That's a big obstacle! Oh my goodness! That's a big step! Whoa! That's too fast! I can't move that quick! Whoa! That's too much! And in that moment, we're going to have a choice to make. Will we submit to God and say, okay, and run forward with Him? Or will we say, oh, no, no, I ain't doing nothing I don't want to do. It's too much. That's too far. That's too different. I ain't never done nothing like that before. No. I ain't going. We have to submit to the Lord's leadership. Because again, He's Lord and we're not. He knows the way and we don't. He knows how to get from where we are to where we need to be. And we have to submit. Submission is saying to God, even though this isn't what I want to do, it is what you want me to do. So that's what I'm going to do. Trust and obey. There is no other way to move forward despite obstacles but to trust and obey. And that requires us to submit to the leading of God. Secondly, we have to prioritize the will of God. Joshua says in verse 5, they are to sanctify themselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua is telling them to cleanse themselves from anything that would hinder God's working in them, through them, or for them. Right? They needed God. They needed God to do wonders, to part the river. They needed God to do wonders, to make the, the sun stand still and the walls fall down. So remove anything from your life that will hinder God from working on your behalf. Remove anything from your life that separates you from your God. He's calling on them to take an act of consecration. Consecration is holy, giving ourselves to God. And, and in some ways, I think consecration is both definite and progressive. 
It is definite in that there is a point in time in which we say, I give myself wholly to the Lord. My life, my will, my plans, my values, my priorities, my morals, my speech, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, my plans and hopes and dreams for the future, God. They're yours. I give myself to you. That is that one definite moment where we consecrate, we give ourselves wholly to the Lord. But then, see that's the easy part actually. Saying that is not a problem. Living that out moment to moment, day to day, that is where the rubber meets the road. And that's where it's progressive. And what they had to do was first make this immediate decision and then begin to live it out. And that's what we have to do as well. Jesus calls on us to give ourselves wholly and completely to Him. Jesus calls on us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Him. Jesus calls on us to be a living sacrifice, offer our bodies completely unto Him. Jesus calls on us to be willing to hate everything in this world in comparison to our love and our devotion to Him. To make that once for all decision, I am yours, I give myself, my life, my all to you. And then once we make that once for all decision, then we have to begin to lay, live it out daily in our lives. Look at this passage, I love this, it's familiar. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, notice the context as I'm moving forward. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Can we all agree, without trying to dig into the Greek, that we run a race by going forward? And that the race God has set before us implies we're running forward. We're not standing still. We're not taking a nap. We, we're not moving sideways. We're moving forward. And so in order to run forward, the race God has set before us, to move forward following Jesus, what must we do? We must live out our consecration and our sanctification by laying aside the weight and the sins which hinder us. Now, this is difficult because weights, in the context, it means anything that would slow us down, keep us going forward, make it harder for us to climb an obstacle, but is not necessarily a sin. And the weight will vary from person to person. What is a weight for you? Well, it may not be a weight for me. And what is a weight for me, it may not be a weight for you. And so this requires from us this absolute consecration to God. Because I have to be willing to say, God, you haven't asked Red to lay this aside, but you're asking me to, so I'm going to anyway. Even though Red gets to keep doing this, and I would really like to, I'm going to lay it aside because it is hindering me. It requires to say, God's will is most important. I'm going to prioritize the will of God. 
and moving forward and overcoming this obstacle, it is more important to me than this thing, this relationship, this attitude, this action, this, this job, this friendship, this whatever. Your will and moving forward, accomplishing and crossing the obstacles is more important to me than anything else I'm going to prioritize. You, over that, I'm going to lay that aside. And I'm going to lay it aside even if I'm the only person in our church that ever has to. I'm going to lay it aside even if I'm the only person in Guyman, Oklahoma that has to. I'm going to lay it aside even if I'm the only person in the world God has to lay it aside. I'm going to lay it aside because I prioritize His will over everything else. Lay aside the weight and the sin. Now the sins are the same for everyone. But the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. doesn't matter if you're 100, doesn't matter if you're 10. The Bible calls it a sin, it's a sin. And we can't move forward following Jesus or harboring sins in our hearts or holding them tightly in our lives. We cannot walk with Jesus and in sin at the same time. We have to choose one or the other. Amos says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? Sin says, walk this way. God says, walk that way. I can't walk with God over here if I'm walking with sin over there. I have to choose who I'm going with. I have to prioritize God's will to lay my sin aside and follow Him. But here's the deal. Truth of the matter is, we will have to prioritize the will of God over everything else if we want to move forward. Navigate the obstacles that are before us and move forward following Jesus. And prioritizing the will of God means we have to lay things aside. I mean, this is a guarantee. Write it down. Write it in stone. Put it in your back pocket. If you say, I'm going to move forward following Jesus, you will have to lay things aside. There are weights in your life. Jesus will say, let that go. There are sins in your life. Jesus will say, repent and turn from those things. That's a guarantee. Make no mistake. It will happen. But we don't have to necessarily do that. I mean, we can hold the weight and hold the sin. But here's the thing. The reality is, no matter what choice we make, we are going to have to let some things go no matter what. Right? I mean, from this moment on, knowledge brings responsibility. From right here on, the rest of your life, You're going to have to lay some things aside. You're going to have to let some things go. Here's what I mean. If you, if we, choose to move forward following Jesus, then we will have to prioritize God's will above all else. And we will have to lay aside the weights that He shows us. And it's not going to be one weight here, and that's it. It's going to be thing after thing after thing throughout our lives. And then we're going to have to lay aside the sin which says to easily beset us. We have to. We will have to let those go. We will have to lay them aside if we want to move forward following Jesus. But, here's the thing. You and I have a free will. And so we can say, I don't want, I don't want to lay this aside. It's too precious to me. I don't think I should have to lay this aside. Nobody else has to. This sin isn't that big compared to other people's sin. I'm, I'm going to hold it. But here's what we give up in that moment. In that moment, then, we give up moving forward with Jesus. 
we give up the ability to overcome the obstacles that are in our way preventing us from moving forward with Jesus. Because what we have done is we have prioritized our will over God's will and we have given up on accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. We have given up on following God and moving forward in the ways He wants us to move forward. So every one of us in here today, we are going to lay something aside. We are going to prioritize something. We are going to let some things go. That's not even a question. The question is what? What will you prioritize in your life? What will I prioritize in my life? What will you lay aside in your life? What will I lay aside in my life? Those are the questions we have to answer because we are, we are going to prioritize something and lay something aside. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of what. And if we want to move forward following Jesus, we have to prioritize God's will above all else and lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily beset us and run with endurance the race He has set before us. And that requires us to trust and obey. There is no other way to move forward despite obstacles but to trust and obey. And then finally, we submit to the leading of God, prioritize the will of God. Thirdly, act on the promises of God. Verse 6 through 8. Joshua tells the priest to take the ark, carry it in front of the people, and they are to get in the river. Now this is a big thing, right? In verse 8 it says, Now shall command the priest that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua says, and it says in verse 13, that it came to pass as the soles of the feet of the priest that bore the ark, of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. The waters of Jordan shall be cut off. So here's the deal. The priests, plural, so it's all the priests have to have their feet in the water. How many priests carried the altar? At least four. Two on the front, two in the back. Now if you've read the story, the poles that they carried the ark with, they were long. Now keep this in mind. How many priests have to get their feet wet before God's going to part the water so they can go over on dry land? The priests. All of them. So it's not a matter of the guys up front are going to go and God's going to go and they're going to go no, no, that's not what happens. The dudes up front have to go so much as move a drop of water or cause a gust of wind until all four priests had their feet in the water. But when they trusted and they obeyed and all four priests got in the water, then God made the waters to stand up in a heap kind of like He did the part of the Red Sea 
And the people went by on one side, and the priest stood on dry ground. Here's again, we've got a kick with this. What would have happened had they come right up to the edge and said, God, we believe. Woo! Hallelujah! And then stood right at the edge. They'd still be standing there because the water never would have parted. They actually had to get in the water. They actually had to step into it. Now, keep in mind, I know we're from Guymon, so we've never seen a, a raging river before. But rivers that are flooded... And overflowing their banks, they flow quickly. And, and you don't have to get far out in there before that raging river can pull your feet out from underneath you. There was some risk involved on the part of those priests, particularly the dudes up front. I'm guessing they do a short straw, right? They had to walk way out in there. I mean, I, I'm gonna, I don't know how far, but I'm going to guess at a minimum they had to be at least way deep in the water from walking out there before the back priests got their feet in the water. Because again, I don't think it was a tote for him. I think they all had to have their feet soft and wet. So the guys up front, probably at minimum wasting, more likely probably with chest deep in the water. The water of a raging river. And until that happened, God did not do a single thing to prove he was going to do signs and wonders among them as he promised. They only saw the signs and the wonders of God as they acted on the promises of God. The lesson for us is clear. If we want to navigate the obstacles and move forward, we have to step into the water. It is never enough for us to say, I believe God. Believing God leads to acts that demonstrate we believe God. We must act upon the promises of God. If we are to move forward following Jesus and and overcome whatever obstacles are in our way. And there is zero guarantee God will do a single thing until our feet are good and soaking wet. It requires us to trust and obey. Even when it's scary. Even when it doesn't make sense. I've walked in raging rivers before. Never seen one part. That's just not the way the world normally works. This was outside their experience. This was outside. I mean, when the God parted the Red Sea, did they have to walk out in the Red Sea to do it? Didn't, did they? They stood behind Moses. Moses held his arms up like this. And God sent a strong east wind that blew it. So why couldn't God do it like that? Why did they have to get in the water? Because they had to trust. They had to obey. They had to get their feet wet. So as we set out to follow Jesus and move forward, there will be obstacles. And we're going to say, I submit, God, I wait. God's going to say, okay, go. And we move forward. We're prioritizing the will of God. We have given that one moment of consecration. We are now laying things aside so we can go. Then we get to the obstacle. Here's the moment of truth. Now I have to get in the water. I have to try to climb up. I have to do something to deal with the obstacle. It's not not just words anymore. It's not just things I'm saying out loud. It is now something I'm going to do. And it's not only something I'm going to do, 
but I'm going to do this, and if God doesn't part the waters, I am likely to get swept away and die. I mean, I'm not going to make it. If God doesn't come through, I'm not overcoming this obstacle. If God doesn't do what God has said He would do, I'm not going to make it. And it is only in that instance when we see the great power of God. And in that moment of stepping into the water, our doubts, our fears, our feelings of insufficiency will rise up and they will say things like that. I want to move forward following Jesus, but I'm scared. I want to move forward following Jesus, but but I can't overcome that particular obstacle. I want to move forward following Jesus, but, but I don't understand why I have to get my feet wet. What about all these other people that aren't getting their feet wet? I want to move forward following Jesus, but I don't see why everyone else doesn't have to lay aside the same sort of things I'm having to lay aside. These are really important to me. And the number of statements that fear and selfishness and doubts and insecurities will state are as numerous as the people in this room and more so. There is one word that is common to our statements of doubt and our statements of fear and our statements of insecurity and our statements of selfishness. And that word is but. I would, but. I just don't see the need in that. I, I, I think it's a great idea, but. Yes, I, I see what that's in the Bible, but. And that but is doubt. That but is selfishness. That but is fear. That but keeps you out of the water. Keeps me out of the water. Keeps us on the bank and keeps us from moving forward. And keeps us from conquering the obstacle. And keeps us from seeing the mighty power of God. God does not pour out His power on those who are theoretically going to trust and obey. He pours out His power on those who are trusting and obeying. On those who are risking for the sake of His name and for the glory of His fame throughout the earth. He pours out His power on those who are going to step out in a way and say, if God does not come through, it is all going to fail. We must act on the promises of God. We will never move forward without acting on the promises of God. We will never navigate our obstacles without acting on the promises of God. Trust and obey. There is no other way to move forward despite obstacles but to trust and obey. That requires definite action of faith. Definite acts on the promise of God. It's safe to say we all are going to face obstacles as we seek to move forward. Probably right now there are obstacles we can think of and we can see. We're aware of. I want to ask you today, what what obstacle is in your way from moving forward? as, as As an individual, what is the obstacle in your way preventing you from moving forward following Jesus? For your family, what is the obstacle in your way that's preventing you from moving forward following Jesus as a church? 
What is the obstacle in our way preventing us from moving forward, following Jesus? Whatever that obstacle is, we can navigate it through the power of God. That's a guarantee. But we have to submit to the leading of God. We have to prioritize the will of God. We must consecrate ourselves. And then we must act in faith. And act on the promises of God. Which one of these do you need to work on today? Whatever it is. Now is the time. God is speaking. Word has been proclaimed. You must respond to what your God is saying and to what your God is doing. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome.